I want you to do something for me this morning. I want you to go back with me in time. We'll get in our magic biblical time machine. And I want you to go back with me to an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus is there. And He's come to this upper room with His disciples for the very last Passover that they're going to celebrate together. There's a solemnity about the occasion. That occasions like this that we know are going to be the last that they often have. But there is far more to this than just this being the last Passover Jesus is going to share with the disciples. Because as they're eating that night, Jesus dares to displace the Paschal Lamb and put Himself in its place. He does that as He breaks the bread. And He puts a piece in the hand of each of the disciples. And He says to them as He does that, in effect, My very self, My all, I've given for you. And so Jesus and those twelve men or who have been His closest companions for the last three years, they all share that solemn meal under the very shadow of the cross that Jesus is going to die on. It's a solemn occasion, folks. It's an occasion that has a certain heaviness over it. And yet, that being the case, as you read the story and as you read it in all of the Gospel accounts, it's shocking, really, to realize the spirit in which those disciples have come together. Because those men have not come together in humility. They have rather come together with glowing cheeks and they've come together with burning eyes and they've come hissing hot words at each other because they've come together doing what they have done best over the years, and that is arguing over who among them is actually the most important and who among them is actually the greatest. Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to head the delegation of Jesus' apostles? And each of these men are pridefully contending for what they perceive to be their own rights. Now, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about the circumstances surrounding Jesus Christ at that very hour. Because you see, in all probability, this is a secret meeting. Because there's no servant that's present to wash the feet of the guest. James and John are there. Perhaps they could have volunteered for the menial task of washing the feet of those who are present. After all, James and John had just recently been taught a very valuable lesson when they sought to have first place for themselves. Because when they sought to have first place, Jesus explained to them that the best way to 
have first place and be first was to be the servant of all. But either the lesson didn't soak in on James and John, or, or else James and John had just forgotten all about it. And probably no one dared to make the suggestion to them, or they would have actually witnessed a display of what the sons of thunder were actually capable of. And certainly, you would not have wanted to looked at Simon and said, Simon, would you mind washing everyone's feet this evening? I mean, seriously, Simon? Simon's the natural leader of the group. What you have here is you have all of these disciples, these apostles that are together there, and they're all too busy asserting their own rights. They're too busy standing on their own dignity. So guess what? You remember the story. It was Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who took the lowly task of girding himself with an apron and washing the feet of those that were there. Jesus did that not because he enjoyed being a martyr. No. Jesus chose to humble himself here as he would later humble himself going to the cross. Because Jesus knew that if he did not humble himself to do this menial task, that it would simply be left undone. So after he had resumed his place, Jesus said, Know you what I have done to you? Know you what I have done to you, Jesus said. What's the answer? Jesus had performed a service that none of the others was big enough to perform. And doing that, Jesus had taught them a lesson in humility. I wish, I tried, I wish I could find something more glamorous to call this than humility. I wish I could find a more glamorous name for this beautiful service other than humility. Because humility just doesn't have a lot of glitter around it, does it? Humility is not something that thrills us to our bones because it's so glamorous a concept. We have a tendency to regard humility as being a pious church coin. True enough, at prayer meeting, it's worth a hundred cents on the dollar. But humility is far below par when it comes to every place else. And because of that, if someone referred to us as being humble, sometimes we might even be insulted. And if someone refers to us as humble, we're not really sure we've been complimented. What do we mean by humility? Well, for one thing, if you read the text and if you read the story of the disciples, it was something they didn't have that night. Because humility is not arguing and clamoring for first place. And humility is also not a prideful refusal to perform a task simply because it's menial. Menial. 
And it's also not a swaggering demand for position. Humility is not that spirit that leads people sometimes to say, well, if I can't be the one in charge, I'm not going to do anything. But if humility is not self-glorification, humility is also not self-contempt either. I've known folks over the years, you have you known them too, that think they're humble because they've said mean things about themselves. And folks, that's not humility. All that is is a caricature of humility. There is no person in a better frame of mind to make a failure of life than that person that has no self-respect whatsoever. I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to look at Jesus that night as He washed the feet of those who were there. And here's how it reads in John's record in John 13, 3 and 4. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that he was come from God and went to God. Do you catch that? He knew he came from God. He knew he went to God. He riseth from supper. And he laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Does that sound like self-loathing or self-contempt? At the very moment... Jesus is most keenly conscious of His divine origin and His divine destiny. He stooped to do the work of a common slave. But He did not stoop to do that in the spirit of a slave. Because never was one girded with greater self-respect than was Jesus. So what then is humility? Humility is the natural and inevitable result of facing the facts about ourselves. Someone one time said that while humility is based upon truth, pride is founded on a lie. So we therefore must face the facts about ourselves. You, me, we are all children of God. And we are all made in the divine image of God. And therefore, you and I are grand creatures. Here's how the psalmist put it. Psalms 8. What is man that thou art mindful of him? Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. I like it the way Moffat translates it. Moffat says, Thou hast made him a little less than divine. That's the psalmist's description of us. We are grand creatures. We are made in the image of God. And more than that, you and I have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And having been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus you and I are to reproduce Jesus Christ in our lives. We're to be able to say with Paul, for me to live is Christ. But there's something else that we have to face up to. We, have, we must admit, 
We have not lived up to our privileges. Though we were made for Christ-likeness, we have failed to realize our possibilities. As Paul would put it, we have come short of the glory of God. Whatever heights we may have attained, we're just a poor fraction of what we might be. Humility. That's childlikeness. Well, what about children? Well, first of all, a child is teachable. A child is willing to learn from anybody. A child is willing to lean on a higher power. A child is willing to understand they're not self-sufficient. They realize their own weaknesses. To be childlike is to be democratic. Because a child is free from snobbery. No normal child ever refuses to play with another child because that child might be inferior in wealth or in social position. A child is as much at home with a child of a pauper as with the child of a king. That's humility. Being childlike. Don't ever confuse being childlike with being childish. That's two completely separate things. Humility is childlike. But it's more than that. Humility is being Christ-like. Humility is the one virtue in himself that our Lord calls attention to. He said, learn of me. Why, Lord? For I am meek and I am lowly in heart. Jesus was humble enough that night. Facing the cross in His future, Jesus was humble enough that He humbled Himself and performed this menial task of foot washing. When nobody else would do it. He humbled himself and was obedient to death. Paul says, even the death of the cross. To be humble is to be Christ-like. To be humble is to be like Jesus. This is a virtue, my friends, that is priceless. Because this virtue is the very key to the door of the kingdom of heaven. Remember in the Beatitudes, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are humble enter the kingdom of heaven because they're capable of entering it. And none others are. You recall the story Jesus tells in Luke chapter 18? Two men went to the temple to pray, a Pharisee and a publican. The publican wouldn't lift his eyes toward heaven. He smote his breast. He said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee stood afar off. and He lifted his eyes toward heaven and said, God, 
I thank Thee that I'm not as other men are. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of everything I possess. I'm, I'm, I'm so much better than that publican standing over there. Jesus said that that publican went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee because Jesus said everyone that humbleth himself, he shall be exalted. He that exalteth himself, Jesus said, shall be humbled. Why did that publican win where the Pharisee failed? It wasn't because he was superior to the publican. The Pharisee was a far better man. He was upright. He was decent. He gave his regular tithe. Why, if it had not been for him, there probably wouldn't have been a temple for the publican to turn to in that dark hour of his life. But what beat that Pharisee, what defeated that Pharisee, in spite of so much good that there was in his life, What defeated the Pharisee was his total lack of humility. He asked for nothing because he felt he needed nothing. Having already arrived, he felt like he couldn't go any higher. But that publican, on the other hand, he entered the kingdom in spite of his great sin, Because he was poor in spirit. It is only with humility that I can enter the kingdom and remain in the kingdom. Because in the face of pride, the door is shut. It's essential. Humility is something essential in every aspect of our lives. We enter the kingdom of knowledge through the door of humility. By admitting that we don't know everything. Humility is a valuable asset often in the world of business. Humility is essential in making and keeping friends. And it's essential in maintaining peace and harmony in the family circle. Write this down. It's on the final exam. Humility is essential not just in prayer meetings. Humility is essential in every aspect of our lives. Humility is an essential ingredient to happiness. Some folks, I've known them, you have to. Some folks are just downright proud of their pride. Some look askance at what Jesus said when he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you serious? And yet, even though you might sometimes in your darker moments question the happiness of those who are humble, you cannot question the wretchedness of those who are proud. If you are forever standing on your dignity, if someone is forever demanding recognition and appreciation, if someone is bent on getting credit for everything they do, then they're headed for a rather stormy voyage on the sea of life. And you know why? Because for that person that is determined to have the credit and that person that wants to get uh, recognition and appreciation, it doesn't matter how much honor they get or how much applause comes their way, Something's going to always come along and wound their pride. 
You see, humility is essential for our usefulness. Our usefulness to each other and our usefulness to the Lord. It's always the person who's humble who's the most willing to serve. The proud will serve if the applause is loud enough. The proud will serve if they get the recognition that they deserve. You can count on the proud if the task is not beneath them. But you know what the humble people will do? Humble folks will serve unconditionally. All they ask for is a task that needs to be done to be pointed out to them. Those that are humble, they're the most useful because that right attitude makes their service acceptable. See, we very seldom help someone by reaching down to them from superior heights. Ultimately, the humble are the most useful because they have the right attitude toward God. That man or that woman that sets out on a mission of service, trusting only their own sufficiency, they have to go it alone. But that person with humility, that person goes in the strength of Almighty God. And by their humility, they enable our Lord to make good His promise. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. Jesus humbled Himself. And humbling Himself, Jesus was obedient to death, even the death of the cross. I'm so thankful that I'm not commanded and asked to die on a literal cross the way Jesus did. Truth be told, you're glad you're not either. We don't have to die on a literal cross like Jesus died. All we're asked to do in this book is to crucify self. We're asked to humble ourselves and be obedient to the commands of our Lord. We're asked to submit our stubborn will to the will of God. And submitting our stubborn will to the will of God, God wants us then to live His kind of life. Are you doing that? Do you need to make changes to live God's kind of life? This is your opportunity to come and let it be known you want to make those changes as together we stand and while we sing.